Welcome to Hanging On For Hope. I am your host, Andrea Page. Hanging On For Hope is the stories about people working to overcome trauma, adversity, and vulnerable moments in life. From incarceration to kids in crisis to postpartum depression, we hear from everyday people on what they are going through and how they are getting through it. We also hear from experts on all the new ways that we can work on the things that we're working on. Today's guest is Alison Bowman. She is a breastfeeding advocate. Uh, she's a community um, leader with Life with a Baby. She also just finished her master's in health, um, sorry, is it applied health sciences? Um, and she's going to tell us not just about her professional work, but she's going to tell us a bit of her personal story today. Welcome, Allison. Thank you very much, Andrea. Um, I'm very excited to be here and to talk to you guys about this stuff. So I'm going to start with talking about my parenting journey, which is how I got to the sort of professional um, and volunteer journey that my life has changed. Awesome. So Thank you. I am a mom to two kids. Uh, they are four and six years old. Um, my son is the six-year-old. I had one carriage or one miscarriage before my son. Um, and I treated that as a very personal thing. Looking back now, I probably would react to that differently. And that's one of the things that um, I'm advocating for. Um, after my daughter, I think that I had postpartum anxiety, but this was something that I wasn't sure of. I had never really heard of postpartum anxiety. And I knew that what I was experiencing wasn't postpartum depression. It wasn't the standard, like unable to get out of bed um, and sort of the textbook things that you see or like the Hollywood things that you see. So how did it present for you? It was a lot of intrusive thoughts um, and a lot of some of those intrusive thoughts even involved things like leaving the house um, mm -hmm. and concerns of things that could happen. So one of my big intrusive thoughts was falling down the stairs while carrying the kids. Right. Um, Stranger danger was a big thing. So I even had to change sort of the shows that I watched at that time uh, Like I had to stop watching like the criminal minds and CSI or anything like that where there could be any sort of triggers um, Again, even though I had a degree in psychology my undergrad degrees in psychology I had heard of postpartum depression, but never anything about postpartum anxiety um, I Again have like I wasn't diagnosed at the time um, So I don't know for sure that I had it Looking back, I wish that I had raised it with my doctor. One of the things that I would love to see is that parents are screened for postpartum depression and anxiety um, to make sure that no one has to sort of live within that shell of the concerns. Uh, and I thank you for bringing this up, Allison. I think you know, we talked before the podcast about what we would touch on. And, and postpartum anxiety, which is something I also experienced 20 years ago, which I didn't recognize it as a form of kind of PPD or mood disorder uh, and intrusive thoughts are extremely common. And I think the intrusive thought part is specifically because intrusive thoughts can show up in a variety of different ways. Like you described, it can be worrying about harm or even worrying about yourself kind of causing harm, just yeah. this general, general distrust of yourself and the world, a very, cause you, it is an extremely vulnerable moment in life period. And then to have your brain kind of playing tricks on you, it is so unsettling for a mom. And, and because we're not talking about it as much as we should be, a lot of moms are living in silence. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that was how many years ago for you? So 
that I probably had a few of them with my um, six-year-old, uh, but I felt like I had more with my four-year-old because there was also then the challenge of taking two children out of the house to do things, right? Like if we were going to the park, then it was like, what if someone takes him or if I can't, if I lose track of him or anything like that. So how did things improve for you? Because if you didn't get a diagnosis, was it just something that settled down over time as you, for example, started to sleep better? It was. Um, it was also when I had my son, I did the parent talk um, or the baby talk group. And I met a group of moms and it was great because we all got together. With my daughter, it was hard to do events. And because it, most of the things for newborns, you can't bring a toddler to. So that was why I brought the life with a baby to the Niagara region so that there was sort of something to force me to get out of the house. And because if it was just like, okay, I'll go to the early on center today, by the time that we got up and ready, I was just too tired to actually go. Mm -hmm. um, the sort of intrusive thoughts weighed me down too much. So I didn't bother going. And then I sat alone in my house feeling isolated. Uh, and that's something really interesting that you brought up kind of the cycle of how mental health wreaks havoc. Cause when you're having postpartum anxiety, you're also not, you're already not sleeping properly because you're a new mom, but yeah. postpartum anxiety and those intrusive thoughts are even making the times that you can sleep very difficult to actually sleep or to get restful sleep. And a, a lot, often it's accompanied by nightmares yep. um, and, and other kind of experiences that are kind of added on or that are kind of exasperated by the intrusive thoughts and the anxiety. Um, so, oh my gosh, I totally just lost because I had a question I was going to ask you. Um, so you didn't get a diagnosis and you were kind of at home. Did you, did you, were you able to talk to your partner about it? A little bit, but again, he didn't recognize it as problematic, mm -hmm. right? Because of our, and that was one of the things, um, even within the breastfeeding, and now volunteer with Breastfeeding Niagara, I had a lot of challenges with breastfeeding my son, mm -hmm. um, numerous tongue ties, and then a C-section, and uh, all of the things that sort of like lots of different barriers mm -hmm. to us to breastfeed. Um, thankfully, I was privileged enough to have the resources to be able to keep going to lactation consultants um, and to be able to push through those challenges. Um, yes. And that definitely helped, I think, sort of help that like uh, anxiety around not being able to feed my son. So once we got to the point that we were breastfeeding, it definitely helped. And breastfeeding culture is one of those interesting things. Like obviously, we know that breastfeeding is beneficial to not just baby, but to mom and to the bonding experience. And that while it is natural, um, because of the way that society is set up, and a lot of women, for example, don't grow up seeing breastfeeding regularly, or have kind of the aunties or the moms around them to assist with the process from moment to moment, uh, a lot of women are led to believe that this will be a natural and easy experience. And then when it's not, I remember my experience was, well, like, what the heck is wrong with me? Yep. Um, and I really wanted to breastfeed. And I did, I remember that, that being a piece. I, I often say when I look back at that moment in my life 20 years ago, that my breastfeeding experience actually was a huge part of the trigger for my extreme postpartum depression, because it was met with unrealistic expectations. Had I just known it was going to be difficult, that would have shifted everything because I was expecting one thing and got another. And then I had a narrative in my head that I must be the problem. Look at me. I fail at everything. Yes. Right. So, you know, I, it's really, it's, I'm really grateful that you're sharing that piece of the story because it's not really ever one thing that, that kind of 
stresses or exasperates uh, a woman's mental health in the postpartum stage, there's, there's usually a variety of different components going on that are, as well as the fact that we're, we're just not mothering mothers in this society. So vulnerable women with extra vulnerabilities are often drowning. Silent. Mm -hmm. So you're a problem solver. I love that about you. Like you're a hardcore problem solver. So you're doing breastfeeding support and advocacy. Um, you do so many great things in the community. Like you are just, I admire you so much. Thank you. Um, you've brought life with a baby to the Niagara region and life with a baby is all over Canada. Is yep. that, am I right? Yes. We uh, actually even have a few chapters in the States too. So tell me more about life with a baby. So this was a um, organization that started in the Markham area by our founder, Claire Zlobin. Mm -hmm. And she is a maternal mental health advocate and she also experienced anxiety. So she wanted to do things that could help reduce the anxiety. Um, we know that social um, isolation is a huge concern for mothers experiencing any sort of postpartum depression and anxiety. And like you said, the fact that we don't mother mothers the same way. Um, a common thing that I hear with the moms that I meet with life with a baby is that, like my example is that I have very strong supportive mothers and a mother-in-law, but they live about an hour and a half away. Right. So like my mom came and stayed with us for a few days after my baby was born, but it wasn't like a daily interaction by any means. So um, I think that that's definitely part of the challenge is a lot of people are moving further and further away from their families. And this is the time that you really feel that isolation. Um, so Life with a Baby actually started with a first aid and CPR course, which is one of my favorite courses to offer. It's just because that was also one of my intrusive thoughts, right? Like if something happens to the baby, um, I already had first aid and CPR, but I made sure that my husband had it around the time that the babies were born. Um, and it's not a certification course. It's just a what to do if something's wrong with your baby right. and how to remain calm in that situation. Um, so my uh, involvement with Life with a Baby is to have four events a month. And I'm always looking for volunteers to help host these events. Now that my kids are in school, uh, the events that I do are slightly different. So I'm doing weekend events with them. Um, but I'm always looking for moms to do things during the week, things like mall walks. Uh, I host meetups at the early on centers because I loved going to the early on centers, but I was also never the sort of person that could break into a group. So if there was a group of moms that attended there all the time, I would never be like, I want to be friends. So <laughs> Um, having these meetups is what I think really helped because then I knew that there would be a face that I would be looking for when I got there and I would be able to make that sort of conversation. And that's so true too, right? Because not everybody is, you know, the person who's going to walk into the room and just know or feel comfortable making friends that we actually have a social responsibility to make this, uh, social, this connecting part of motherhood, um, easier. Yes. Yeah, so that's amazing. And that's great that moms can volunteer. I might volunteer. That would be great. Um, so you've also done some other really amazing work. And I actually didn't even make the connection until recently. Tell me about Dad's Rock. So I'll back it up a little bit. Um, okay. After I went back to work, after having my kids, the job wanted me part-time. And they wanted me a few hours every day. And that just wasn't really feasible with paying childcare for two kids. So I was like, this is the time to do something. And I'd love to take all of these things that I've experienced 
in terms of the postpartum depression and not knowing about postpartum depression, or sorry, postpartum anxiety, um, the miscarriage and being completely isolated with that and trying to get it advocated that it's something that we talk about because it happens to so many women, unfortunately. Um, so I wanted to go back to school to do something that could involve promoting health for parents. So I went back to Brock and I did my Masters of Applied Health Science with Dr. Lynn Rempel. And she gave me a lot of leeway around what I wanted to do. So we chose to do a text-based intervention for fathers called the Dad Rock Study. We know that fathers are a huge influence on the way that mothers can experience their, um, even just the transition to parenting, mm -hmm. uh, whether it whether they are experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety or just the normal ups and downs of the sleep depression and all of the challenges that come along with it. So we wanted to have a way to support North American fathers in a way that would be relevant to them. So it's not quite necessarily, in my opinion, feasible to say, okay, dads, come to a Saturday all day learning session where we're gonna keep you there for eight hours and then you go home and interact with your infant or take your baby away from your mother, from the mother for eight hours. Right. So we designed the Dad Rock study to be an online intervention where the fathers received text messages for six months. Um, wow. They received 99 text wow. messages. All of these messages were based on past studies and they included things like, did you know infant crying peaks around the six months or around four months? It then recedes by the fourth, uh, fifth or sixth month hang in there, it does get better. And we would refer them to places like the parent talk line or their own local public health unit because this was for fathers all across Ontario. So we wanted to make sure that they had ways to receive um, valid information because one of the other challenges that I experienced as a mom with problem solving and education was misleading information on the internet. Right, like even when I was experiencing the breastfeeding challenges, you do a search for breastfeeding and you get too much information that you don't know how to process while you're sleep deprived. Totally. So we wanted to make sure that the information was reliable and valid and research-based. So that was where the Dad Rocks study started. Um, it was harder than I expected to get fathers into the study, mm. but I think one of the challenges with that is we wanted to recruit them within the first week after the infant was born. And I think that that's just such a hard time as the fathers transition because that's generally when they're going back to work um, or even just navigating their role as the father. So um, I only got 17 fathers in the study, but the fathers did like the study design. Um, those that liked it had better attitudes towards being a father. And if fathers found the messages useful, they had higher scores on their interaction affection and attitudes with their infants. And if they read and used the messages, they had higher affection, attitude, and perceived behavioral control in their ability to be a good father. One of the things that I didn't really pursue in there, and I'm now kicking myself for, is we had a short questionnaire on anxiety, but I would have loved to pursue that further, and I would love to do that for future work. Um, but the fathers who had higher, reported higher anxiety used the resources more. So it's exciting to see that this intervention is a promising start towards father involvement and a really sort of t not time intensive method of communicating with the fathers in a way that they like.
Wow, this is, that is really, it's such a, uh, you know, although not simple to uh, provide that study, uh, such a simple way of communicating and communication is such a big piece of it, right? Because it goes back to the whole managing of expectations. Another expert that I had interviewed about attachment had said, you know, we were talking about cry it out. And it was really, when you understand that it's perfectly normal for your baby to be crying and waking up and that they're not, they don't, aren't sleeping through the night then as soon as you shift that expectation, the anxiety and the fear and all of the negative narratives you may have on your, in your head that you're not managing life properly, yes. uh, taking that piece out can really improve how people respond. And I love that you created a tool to help dads support themselves and their partners and their families. How fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's very exciting again to see Again, there was only a limited number of fathers in the study, um, and there's definitely things that need to be improved on, but I think it's such a great start because it isn't feasible to say to the dads, like, come in for these classes. So mm -hmm. I think that this would be such a great way to, like, for a, ni a nice area for further research. Yeah, for sure. So, so what, what's next? So now you have completed your master's. Um, you are probably breathing for the first time in a long time. <laughs> yes. I, I don't, I'm always, I, I mean, I think about mental health and motherhood and trying to manage that level of, um, you know, post-secondary education. Um, I, kudos to you because I definitely have a hard time balancing it all. So when I see somebody balancing so many different balls in the air and I'm like, wow, you're awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so what's, what's happening now? What's hap What's going on with you now? So right now I'm looking for work. So I want to work within like health promotion and knowledge translation. I've worked in research for many years uh, before, like after my psychology degree, I studied brain activity, mm -hmm. but it was a very classic research lab where we would do a study, we would report it in a scientific journal and then forget about it. Right. So I've become very passionate about getting all of this information that is being collected by all of these universities and getting it out to the world. Um, there's a lot of, so many things that I'm passionate about. One of the really interesting things that I've uh, heard about is the um, Kids in Pain Network. And they do work on just kids in pain. And one of the things that they found is that it can take up to 16 years for the research that researchers are doing to reach the field. Wow. So that's an entire generation of kids growing up with small things that could have improved their pain around situations. Yeah, it, it's so, I mean, it's such an astute point to make that, you know, bringing kind of scientific research and all the lingo that goes around, goes on with it and bringing it to the general public in a way that is palatable for them. Exactly. It's so powerful. And the delays are insane, right? I mean, I've obviously worked in postpartum health and, you know, in terms of exercise and pregnancy, you know, we are seeing that frontline caregivers are 10 to 15 years outdated on guidelines, right? Yep. And so those are people who have access to this information and know where to look and they're still not accessing it for a variety of different reasons. And I've also seen the same thing in terms of like trauma, you know, that is now getting out to the general public. And so people are having more empathy and understanding in terms of how do we manage kids' behavior? Or why does that, why is that mom doing that thing that she's doing? Why is she acting out like that? And, and understanding is the, the roots of change, mm -hmm. right? So I am so grateful for people like you who are really championing that this knowledge is 
for everyone. And that with knowledge, this is how we see shifts in our collective mental health, actually. Yep. This is how we all get better. And this is how life gets better. You know, we're not, you know, you're not changing the world for everybody. Overnight, nope. Which, you know, I think for the average everyday empath is frustrating because we yes. just got a lot But, um, you know, it, that also doesn't mean that you give up. No, nope. we keep we keep looking for answers and solutions, and then we work really hard to be effective communicators and do things like this, have these kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. And again, even with things around like my miscarriage and that I never talked about it at the time, but now I'm incredibly open about it. And even with my postpartum anxiety, right? I didn't talk about it at the time, but now I'm sort of, I don't want to say shouting it from the rooftops, but here I am, you know, talking about it very openly so that other people, this, like, I'm so happy that the stigma around mental health is changing, but it needs to change more. So oh. I'm hopeful to be here as part of that needle shifting. Yeah. And, and that's also like a really valuable point that I think that when we have adverse life experiences and while it's getting better, I, you know, I've watched a shift happen in the last 20 years, even still, I mean, for example, I just did a podcast with a, another host about my son's incarceration. I've been open with people about it, but there was still this shame that even though I'm an open person who advocates vulnerability and openness and education, I, it took me a very, very long time to overcome the stigma even I have internalized to, to create that dialogue about this adverse life experience um, because of stigma. And I think that when more people start to speak, we do, we're, we're all collectively taking responsibility for creating safety. And the one issue that you brought up was miscarriage. And, and you know, for all the women that I have met over the years who have lost babies, it, it was never lost on me that this was a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. I always, but I was, I, I saw perplexing things happen. I've been to multiple babies' funerals over um, the course of my career. And, you know, I think, I don't know, I suppose I have an instinct maybe, but I remember watching experiences or hearing stories from these women. So for example, a, a client of mine lost a baby who was very, very open and told her story, but some of the backlash she got from members of the community was really surprising. I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but it was, people were so, I think what it really is, is that people have a really difficult time managing difficult emotions in today's yep. world because we have worked, we have become a society of wrapping, wrapping everything up in a pretty little bow yep. and pretending things aren't wrong and then accusing people of being negative when they talk about negative things. Yes. <laughs> right? And, and so people, nobody wants to be seen as the person who's talking about negative things and being negative. But the truth is, is that negative things and challenges happen to everyone. And when you press, process them in isolation or with a sense of shame and stigma attached, it does far more damage, not only to the individual, but to their families, to the communities. We have to be able to take these, these are adverse life challenges, put them out on the table and be willing to talk about them in a way that people can heal. It is about processing grief. It is about grief rituals. Another thing that's just lacking in our society, right? Grief rituals, mm -hmm. right? Other cultures have grief rituals where people go through traumatic events and there's a ritual in, that allows that person to feel their feelings physically and emotionally and come out on the other side 
stronger and healing, maybe not completely healed. Here you're expected to, well, Allison, you had a miscarriage. First of all, you, you feel not to tell anyone. Yep. Certainly, you know, people raise eyebrows if you need to take a couple of weeks off work, work, but it's a traumatic life experience. It is completely reasonable to take some time off work and to heal and to take the time to go through the, all of the emotions and the loss and the sadness that comes along with this experience and all of your hopes and dreams around this child that is not, no longer coming mm -hmm. to be validated. So, I mean, I am, I am, I actually am super grateful that I'm seeing more women talk about miscarriage because I have seen so many clients and friends suffer over the years because it was not, it was, it was really something that was undermined. The, the things that people would say like, well, so you'll get pregnant again. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That is not the point. Right. So thank you so much for being one of those voices. If you could say anything to listeners right now, like moms or families, uh, like what is the one thing that you're most passionate about? I mean, obviously it's about getting information out there, but what's your final message? Um, so I just want to pause and thank you for all of the work that you're doing too. Um, Again, I love connecting with other empaths. And I just want to mention about what you said there too, about the placations that our society offers, right? Like, oh, well, you know, you got pregnant so you can get pregnant again. That's not what people need to hear, right? We know that that was a baby that they lost. It wasn't just a pregnancy. So um, to take it to the next step and even try to get that information out is important to not just parents. Um, but my advice to parents is if you are feeling anything, like if you are experiencing struggles, reach out. The, there is an amazing community. I definitely know our community well in Niagara. Um, but it's a matter of getting this information out there and into the right hands. So again, I had the privilege to be able to look for this information. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm so excited to see things like these podcasts where this information is getting out to people. Um, and I'm so happy to be part of this very supportful um, sort of transition to parenting network that we have here. Well, and you are such a, an asset to women in, in the Niagara region. And I'm so great. I will make sure that I put the life with a baby information um, along with this podcast so that people can connect in their various communities. Uh, and as I always say, um, you know, and not at the end of every podcast, you know, I am here. Uh, women like you are here. We are the kind of women that are personally available to anyone who reaches out to us. And we may not be able to directly help you, but we will, I know that there are a lot of people like you and me who are committed to that mom that is sitting at home in crisis right now and maybe can't speak to her husband and maybe can't speak to her mom. Uh, reach out to us if you don't know where to reach out and then we'll help you make the next steps. Exactly. We have had the advantage of looking back at this, right? And knowing what could have helped us. So send me a message on Facebook, send me a message through Life with a Baby or Breastfeeding Niagara, and we will work to get you what you need. Alison Bowman, thank you so much. What a privilege and a pleasure to spend time talking to you, to hear about the work that you're doing and to hear your personal story. Um, I am so grateful that you took the time today to share with us and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much.